Welcome to Montrose Podcast for this extended conversation about what habits and skill sets children need to flourish. I'm your host, Mary Cahill Farella, and I'm glad you can join us. I interviewed each of our experts on social emotional learning, character education, and civics education before May 25th. As I think about our topic, what the educators of tomorrow need to help children thrive, I can't think of a more critical moment in history to have these conversations. In light of current events, when racial tensions are electrified by protests both domestically and abroad, it's so important to give ourselves permission to feel. Before we can begin to process our strong emotions, we need to know how do we feel. We also need to think critically about character development. What do we aspire to and what habits do we need to reinforce in order to align with our vision of who we want to be? And we need to decide how we want to be as a community, what our civic responsibilities are, and how we can bring the ideals of civics education to bear in the current landscape. Again, I'm glad you could join us as we explore these challenging questions. One of my biggest fights for education is that we have to have a prevention scientist perspective. Pursuit of of learning um, and the pursuit of building a life and one's character are two sides of the very same coin. We need to be citizens and civic participants that have, uh, that look at the situation from a global perspective. Those are three of our experts, Dr. Mark Brackett, Dr. Karen Bolin, and Louise Dubé. We'll hear more from them shortly. But first, let's hear from Dr. Hardin Coleman, Professor of Counseling Psychology and Applied Human Development at Boston University's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development, where he oversees the Center for Character and Social Responsibility. Dr. Coleman is the co-director of the Kern Family Foundation Partners in Character and Educational Leadership, KPCEL for short. KPCEL is a higher education consortium helping universities and educational institutions become more intentional and strategic about making character education an integral part of the professional training of tomorrow's school leaders. Give me a little background and tell me about your primary passion in education. That's a a great question. I mean, I I would say that, you know, um, um, my my primary focus is like right now is you know we have a system that is designed to serve certain sets of kids uh, very very well and other sets of kids uh, really really poorly and you know there's certain overlap you know kid, kids who have great privilege don't always thrive kids who are deeply uh, disenfranchised sometimes thrive. So there's variation. It's not, it's not, it's not hundred percent predictive, but in general, the system is structured in a way that uh, picks winners early. And so a lot of my thinking and energy uh, within the, my areas of, of uh, expertise and, and engagement is try to uh, try to make system change and produce people who, who understand the problems of the system in terms of when I say produce in terms of uh, school training school counselors, people who understand that it's not just taking care of the kids, it's also uh, working to change the system so it takes care of all kids. So that's 
that's what I think a lot about and spend a lot of energy um, in di very different, diverse ways uh, moving towards that, uh, let's call that a North Star. Life is just better for us when we think proactively as opposed to reactively. That's Dr. Mark Brackett, founder and director of the Yale Institute for Emotional Intelligence and author of the book, Permission to Feel, Unlocking the Power of Emotions to Help Our Kids, Ourselves, and Our Society Thrive. I'd like to start off by asking you to define for us social-emotional learning itself. What is it? Well, there's a lot of definitions of social-emotional learning. You know, I'm on the board of CASEL, the Collaborative for Academic Social and Emotional Learning, and we like to think of it as this process of infusing concepts like self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, relationship management, and responsible decision-making into the way leaders, teachers, students, support staff, families um, interact on a daily basis. And why do you think it's so important, social-emotional learning, to the development of the whole child? Well, when you think about it, you know, we're social and emotional creatures. From the moment, you know, we open our eyes, right, we seek attachment. You know, we, we need attachment in life to, to thrive. And if people like the adults who are raising and teaching us are not, you know, aware of our feelings if they can't help to co-regulate our stress and anxiety, if they don't help us make good choices, you know, as we develop, um, life doesn't turn out, you know, as good as it could. So, you know, we see these skills as just being critical to decision-making, learning, physical and mental health, um, and even creativity and everyday performance. Mm. You said in the book, that your career goal is to make social emotional learning part of the curriculum. So tell me about that. Well, you know, so social emotional learning started off, you know, about 30 years ago or so. And um, it really was, you know, thought of as a program, you know, it was like you build this curriculum or this kit or program that goes into a classroom and a teacher does a lesson on empathy or a lesson on relationships or something like that. And I started my career the same way. I was blessed. I had an uncle who was a pioneer in this field who was my hero in life. And we failed horrifically. We failed because when you think about it, if it's an add-on, that means that we have to squeeze it in and that it's ancillary to the core content. And my argument is that it should be just the opposite, that social emotional learning, you know, needs to be infused into the way leaders lead, teachers teach, students learn, families parent. There needs to be, you know, direct instruction on the skills, for example, like how to regulate feelings, especially during these times. Like we need specific direct instruction and feedback and ongoing support to help us manage our anxiety. And if it's just an add-on, like if you had an anxiety lesson in third grade, you know, on one Wednesday, and how the heck is that going to help you manage anxiety in life? Um, the system is more complex, you know, and I think our education system needs to take these skills much more seriously. Well, 
one of the things that's occurred to me, you know, dealing with this global pandemic as we have and having to shift and flex so much more than we're used to, do you think that this is the right time maybe to shake things up and to, like you said, make things that haven't been built into the curriculum essential things? Is it time to get everyone's attention on this? I think it's always been time for the attention. I think when there's a crisis, you know, and you have the world being so anxious, you know, it's an opportunity mm -hmm. to start taking this work more seriously. My concern, you know, is that, okay, you know, we're back to whatever the new normal is. And then we go back to the new normal of the way we've done education for the last hundred years. So, you know, I'm really looking for systemic change in education that there is you know, the embedding of these principles and skills and strategies from preschool to high school. Um, as I've said before, like my goal would be for everyone to graduate high school with a black belt in emotional intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> and so give us an example of how you think it would look if social emotional learning were best integrating into a school setting. What might that look like? Well, it would look like school leaders being role models in faculty meetings, uh, in providing teachers with feedback, in the way schools communicate with families in the community. Um, it would look like teachers being hyper aware of how kids feel in the morning and the afternoon. It would be integrated into the way teachers design a lesson such that, you know, what emotion might be best for teaching the Roman oligarchy versus the Holocaust versus, you know, getting kids to brainstorm around a project idea, you know, for their term paper. So it would be basically everyone in a school becoming an emotion scientist, as opposed to what I call an emotion judge. And it would look like kids who are feeling safe and supported and valued uh, and connected in their classrooms and that they would raise their hand if they had a fear or they were worried about something and there would not be a repercussion or, um, anyone wouldn't be looking at them like, oh, why they don't, they're not smart enough or wow, they don't understand that. I understand that there must be something wrong with them. That it would just be essentially normal to be a feelings person who um, experienced the full range of emotions every day. As we share this, this conversation, which is so rich um, with an audience of folks who are preparing the future pre-K through 12 school leaders, what do you hope that they'll get out of it by listening? Well, I hope that they understand that the first step is giving yourself and everyone that you love the permission to feel that there's no such thing as a bad emotion. Emotions are emotions. Anxiety is real. If you're not anxious right now, there's something wrong, right? There's so much uncertainty about our future. Like we deservedly should feel anxious. But that doesn't mean that the anxiety has to have power over us, right? You can be a functional person with anxiety. I'm, I'm case, I'm a case study of that. I've been, I've had anxiety problems my entire life and I've done just fine. Um, I haven't tried to, you know, years ago I would try to erase or deny it, but now I'm just like, you know what? I'm a little anxious today. It's all good. It's okay. It's, you know, I don't have to give it so much power. Right. It's okay that that's part of who you are. Totally. And do I want to be you know, anxious 80% of the day? Obviously not. But um, I also can't be happy all the time because that's weird too. 
Um, <laughs> you know, I can't stand people who are happy all the time. <laughs> um, and then the third is that these are real skills. You know, I call them the ruler skills in terms of our approach to social and emotional learning, which is ruler. And it's recognizing, understanding, labeling, expressing, and regulating emotions. And these are skills that can be taught from birth, you know, and we will continuously have to develop them until our last days. And then I would just say, you know, that um, we have to make this a priority, right? That um, we can't just, you know, think of it as a quick fix, you know, an assembly, you know, this is about taking seriously everyone's social and emotional development and recognizing that it is inextricably linked to our cognitive development, to our social development, um, and to our success in life. Mm. And on that note, what do you see as the relationship between social emotional learning and character education in the educational realm? So I think there's been challenges in that space, you know, in terms of whose job is it to teach character? Um, from our perspective, you know, emotional intelligence is a set of skills. You know, the ability to regulate emotions is just it. It's just that. It's strategies that help myself and others to deal with anxiety, stress, you know, promote positive emotions that all are in the support of our well-being, of building good relationships, of making sound decisions, etc. And I think the character piece is important, but I think it's, um, I call it, you know, technically a moderator, you know, that our values um, will determine, you know, whether or not we decide to regulate, you know, with this person. So you have to value your relationships. You have to, um, to regulate in them. So you have to ask yourself, like, what do I want my relationship to be like with my partner, with my students? What, what do I value about this relationship? Um, and I think that helps to drive whether or not we apply the skills of emotional intelligence. For me, what's most important is that we don't, um, we teach character through reflection as opposed to telling. Yes. And that we ask people to think critically about who they want to be and ask them to explain, you know, why is that important to you and what will, what will that do for you? What will that do for humanity, for other people? Because as soon as we start, you know, imposing, you know, our values onto others, I think it confuses the world and it confuses children developing to be um, autonomous creatures who are caring as well around the world. And, you know, I think through observ observing the world, you know, many of us um, and being asked good questions um, to think critically, ethically, um, that's how we develop character. This is not a theoretical enterprise where we go in and we do lessons on what is honesty and, and what is self-mastery and, and students define it, um, pick a little test and it's, it's all over. This is about imbuing a culture 
It's imbuing our, our protocols and practices among the adults, um, our protocols and practices in the, in the classroom with the students, um, all of our traditions, all of our interactions with these habits of mind, heart, and character that help us to flourish as individuals and as, as a school community. That's Dr. Karen Bolin, head of school and director of the Life Compass Institute at Montrose School in Medfield, Massachusetts. Dr. Bolin, an expert in character education, is also the co-director of KPCEL and the author of several books on the topic of character education, including Teaching Character Education Through Literature and Building Character in Schools. As a head of school, how do you approach character development on the on a day-to-day basis. At Montrose, we, we have a mission that's all about calling young people to greatness. We, we believe in them. We believe they deserve the best from us. Greatness of mind, greatness of heart, greatness of character. It starts with me. It starts right at the top. Um, and I need to keep my finger on the pulse of how my community how my team, how my students, how my faculty, staff, and families are doing. Um, and being head of school is is an extreme sport, and uh, there's there's a lot coming at uh, school leaders and and all the educators in the school. So it's important. Uh, it, it's important, particularly now at a, at a time where we're in a global pandemic, and schools have been forced to pivot on a dime, um, it's important that we, we press pause at, at these moments um, where we're drinking out of a fire hose um, and information is changing all the time. Um, the, the anxiety that our constituents are, are facing about health and safety, fear of job loss, social isolationism, um, not to mention the whole new crazy world of work home life balance. Um, my people are under extreme pressure. Um, and at the same time, we, we have to deliver. We, we have an obligation. So I can tell you, you know, the, these are moments where where you're just confronted with the question, what do we do when we don't really know what to do? And, and that's not just in a pandemic. I mean, that is very real in, in the life of a school leader. We are met with the challenges um, of, of our students, their, their learning needs, their, their family and social needs. Uh, we, we meet death and loss and grief um, and we have to pull together and say, what do we do? And for me, it's all about practical wisdom, that that compass that guides us as a school community, that compass that says, wait a minute, let's press pause and get our bearings. What are we aiming at? Educating for character is uh, bearing in mind that what matters most is, is who we are, um, and the kind of person we become and how we're called to contribute in this world. And it's, it's an unfolding journey and story for each one of us. 
Um, and we're all works in progress. So this is an ongoing, messy, lifelong enterprise to engage in, in character development um, requires adults with sensitivity and savvy uh, to honor those feelings and um, emotions of, of the children they teach and to honor the first reactions they might have, whether it's fear to get up and speak in front of a class or uh, uh, fear of failure or ridicule, to understand that and to validate that is really important um, so that then we can help them recalibrate it might be a conversation. It might be the need to go for a walk. It might be just some assurances. Um, when we facilitate that kind of recalibration they need, then we can make the space for the bigger reflection, reflection questions yeah. on who, what kind of student do I hope to be right now? What would I like to accomplish in this assignment? So I think that's, it's important that we have that social and emotional skill set and savvy both as adults modeling coaching and teaching um, and as, as children, we need to develop that so that we can make space for those bigger questions. So the big question in character education, are what are the habits of a good citizen of someone who, who's contributing to um, civic discourse and um, to making the world a better place? Um, what are the habits of a good student, thinker, learner? What are the habits of a good friend, classmate, teammate? What are the habits of a good son, daughter, um, spouse? All of these things are, you know, the domain of, of, of character education because all of those habits are the building blocks of who we are and we're gaining practice and we're learning um, when we mess up and we begin again, we're developing um, new strengths and capacities all the time. And those strengths and capacities are helping us to become a stronger person. What are the critical needs you're trying to meet in character education today? Yeah, I think um, among the critical needs are... Uh, helping young people see the purpose behind what they do, that school is not just a slog. Um, I am not defined by my GPA, my popularity, um, my high school resume. I am defined by much more than that. Um, and keeping that project of who I am and who I'm becoming central is really, really important because there's a, there's a lot of existential crisis. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of superficiality and we need to, to feed and nurture the hearts of young people. So they have the motivation uh, and to, to stay the course when things are difficult because um, childhood and um, adolescence, young adulthood is fraught with challenging relationships, conflicts, difficulties in school, disappointments. And so helping 
young people learn to navigate, giving them that compass. And there's a big difference between a compass and a GPS, right? Yeah. You get in the car, you GPS, you plug in your destination and all of a sudden you don't even realize where you've been and what, and all you're at, you're, you're where you're supposed to be and you didn't pay attention at all. There's no agency. You just go for the ride. With a compass, you actually need to find your true north. Um, you need to get your bearings. Look at your look at your environment, your surroundings, and take yourself. Um, make uh, take small steps and make progress towards your destination. How do you keep the teaching of character education from becoming authoritarian? How do you keep it, like you say, about giving them a compass rather than handing them a GPS? You're right. Right. No, I, I think it's a really understanding what it's all about. And I mean, we are trying as educators to uh, help young people learn to use their freedom well. End of the day, that's the bottom line. But if they have a compass, they can evaluate their choices. They can know that at the end of the day, I am free to choose um, how I will respond. I don't have to be defined by what other people want me to do. I don't have to be defined by my first reaction, which is that, that I want to hurt somebody or that I want to lash back or retaliate. Um, I don't have to be defined by that. I can feel that way, um, but I can step away and think about this and, and choose a different response, a response that's much more aligned with who I am and who I aspire to be. And when I don't, that's not the end of the world either. When we all, we all make mistakes, we all make choices that we regret. And what matters most is how we um, make amends and begin again. Um, that's, a, that's a really powerful part of developing um, our, our freedom, developing our character and, and directing our own lives towards a greater good and purpose. So I, I think kids are really savvy. Teenagers are really savvy. They, they know when um, adults are just telling them what to do. And they know when adults respect their ability to think through a situation. And, you know, I always tell parents, it's, it's really important to put your coaching hat on. It's, uh, you know, say less um, and ask a few more coaching questions. Mm. You know, um, what do you hope to accomplish? Um, what bothers you the most in this, in this situation? Um, I appreciate that. You know, what, what would you like to do about it? How can I help? You know, the more that we honor their agency, um, and, and we have to facilitate, you know, those other key questions. You know, what, what are you trying to achieve? Um, who would you like to be in this situation? Um, then they were giving them food, not only for reflection, but for the real work of building a life. You know, that's what it's all about. as opposed to teaching uh, about 
the government system as some kind of black box or thing you're supposed to learn and remember about. Um, we try to make it relevant to students and put them in the actions. Next up is Louise Dubay, an expert in civics education and executive director of iCivics Inc., a nonprofit here in the greater Boston area founded by retired Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. iCivics' mission is to ensure every student receives a high quality civic education and becomes engaged in and beyond the classroom. It would be wonderful if you could just start for us with a description of what civics education is today, because I'm sure it's evolved like so many other things have um, for those of us in the educational space. Yeah, I think a lot of um, uh, folks who went uh, to school uh, a few generations ago uh, think of it as the three branches, and some people uh, think of it as uh, I'm just a bill, um, and uh, the little songs, and um, sort of the rather simple uh, content. I think at this point, civic education is a much broader concept. Um, it in embodies a combination of things, including the knowledge piece, meaning how to understand uh, how our system of government works, how our institutions work, how civic life works, um, and then the civic skills to participate in that. So agreeing to disagree, knowing how to speak to somebody um, and research an issue, uh, knowing how to find out even who to address your civic concern to, so on and so forth. Uh, civic dispositions, those are uh, the um, similar to some character traits, but the ability to engage with others who are not uh, of your um, same persuasions and uh, the ability to engage publicly. Um, and then uh, finally, taking action. Uh, or uh, civic action or projects in the real world. Uh, so it actually has a component which requires you to actually do something civic um, as part of your education. It's like a civic lab you're, you're expected to uh, actually do in addition to learn. So it's all of those things. Um, and it is a discipline that encompasses knowledge that crosses polit political science, uh, legal education, as well as history um, to some degree. So it's very much an integrative discipline. Hmm. Well, as someone who has a large family here at home, I'm now going to start seeing our dinnertime conversations with a goal of cultivating civic dispositions. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of parents feel that way now. Um, absolutely. Uh, I, think, uh, I, I think it's pretty um, clear that uh, most Americans feel that civility has uh, left our public discourse and that this is a significant problem. Um, and that we are dominated by uh, this culture of uh, outrage and attacks. And um, that is just not the way to run the polity. So um, I think we all need to go back and build that. Certainly. Well, how do you engage uh, teachers and school leaders in civics education? 
Uh, well, I think the problem in the discipline in general is that we don't engage enough of them. Uh, so we at iCivics have been fairly successful um, at reaching about half of the student population here in the U.S. in K-12. Uh, we actually start at grade four and up, and we have about seven million students on our platform every year. Um, but broadly speaking, a civic education has been deprioritized over uh, decades, and uh, that started when uh, in when the relationship between the government and uh, its citizens started to fray. It only has accelerated uh, since the push towards uh, literacy uh, and literacy-based instruction in STEM. Uh, which was dominated by the uh, the high stakes testing. Uh, high stakes testing ended up uh, pushing out other disciplines that were not tested in the same way, and uh, took away resources. It may well be unintentioned, but that's sort of what happened. You can document a diminishing uh, number of uh, classroom hours at the elementary level. Uh, so I think it's a it's a real issue. Now, uh, to answer your question, the way we do it is we put kids in the center of the action. Uh, so as opposed to teaching uh, about the government system as some kind of black box or thing you're supposed to learn and remember about, um, we try to make it relevant to students and put them in the action. So iCivics has about um, 16 games and all of those games are simulations of uh, government processes and civic processes. So you can run your own election campaign to be president of the United States, for example. You select your issue, you select the states in which you want to appear, you select, uh, you must raise money. You have to decide where to go to raise the money. You can decide how where to poll, but that costs you money so on and so forth, and you either win or lose. Uh, but it becomes uh, something that is yours as opposed to something that's happening to you. And that kind of engagement uh, and simulation of real life processes is what we believe is a significant uh, component of what we need to do. Well, we all like to play games, so that makes perfect sense. And I imagine the upcoming election is a real opportunity for increasing that engagement around the gameplay that you already have established. It is. In normal uh, election years, we have uh, traffic that, uh, well, in the last the 2016 election, it broke our servers. There was so much traffic. Um, so there's a huge surge in civics and, and interest in civics around election years. But this year, um, I think there's um, some concern uh, because the educational landscape has been so disrupted, uh, starting uh, with the pandemic. Uh, a lot of the classrooms or most classrooms or if not all classrooms in America uh, shut down uh, their buildings in uh, March and have not returned. And it's um, it's a question as to whether uh, I don't I don't think there's much teaching about the election going on. We'll see what happens next uh, fall and whether schools will go back and how exactly that will be and whether there'll be uh, space for how much space there will be for instruction. We're still very much hoping. Uh, we do find that there are other topics that are also of interest now. Um, uh, so, for example, in the pandemic, people do want to know. Who's in charge? Um, who's keeping me safe? Who's making the decisions? Uh, 
and how does that relate to me? Um, and so federalism, for example, is a subject that has gotten a lot of attention in classrooms and uh, uh, students are asking those questions themselves and uh, try to find the answers. And I think it's a, it's a fruitful moment, uh, but uh, the education landscape is still uh, quite a bit in doubt right now. Sure, yeah, a silver lining to all of those clouds that we're trying to see our way through. Um, tell me why you think civics education is important to the education of the whole child. Well, I think, I think, um, uh, I know that there are other, uh, your other discussions will, uh, span, uh, social emotional learning as well as character education and civic education. And I think those are all pro-social behaviors. Uh, we start, uh, with the premise uh, that our uh, constitutional democracy really cannot function without civic education. That is, is the basic premise by which uh, we must educate uh, students to have knowledge, skills, disposition, and action uh, for uh, as a necessary component of a system such as ours, the oldest democracy in the world. So, um, so that, that's a critical component to our country. Um, in terms of the whole child, I do. Th there is a uh, necessary piece that starts with the personal, uh, the uh, individual, how to behave yourself, how to know right and wrong, and so on. There then includes others, inter uh, social connections. Your uh, how do you interact with others, and then there is the bigger picture of how you interact with your community, and then even beyond that, how you interact with larger issues that are going to require that you go outside of the boundaries of what you might know that go beyond that at your state level, the country's level, the international level. So all of these things work together, but they start with this idea that you must care, right? There has to be uh, at its core, the, uh, the desire to learn and the desire to be part of a whole. And so that is, um, that is something that we share with the character education uh, community as well as the social emotional community. That sense that you don't only belong to yourself, you belong to a family, a community, uh, and then a larger world and that it matters. In fact, I mean, you know, I, I don't think it takes, um, it's very clear from a, even a cursory review of the literature that all of these things lead to better outcomes. They lead to better outcomes academically. They lead to better outcomes for schools in terms of absenteeism rates. They learn to, um, they lead to better outcomes in terms of school culture. So all of these um, components indicate that in order for a student to really learn and to, re to belong and to care and to be the kind of student we are looking for and, and the society needs, we need all of these things that go slightly beyond just pure academics. And part of what we're doing in K-12 education and what we should be doing is equipping students to face the challenges and opportunities that are inevitable in their life. Our next guest is Deborah Farmer-Chris, 
Associate Director of the Life Compass Institute at Montrose School. Deborah is an education journalist and parent educator who writes for the likes of PBS Kids and NPR. And here, she helps us see how the areas of character education, social emotional learning, and civics education intersect. How can this work that you're talking about help to give, you know, principals, superintendents, teachers, give them what they need so they can in turn give their students what they need to, as you said, to thrive? I think that school leaders and teachers need both vision and pragmatics. They need the, the theoretical wisdom and they need the practical wisdom in terms of what this looks like at different ages and stages. And this is where I think in particular, um, I am eager to learn more about civics education. That is not my area of expertise. I spent much more time in the SEL and character world. But even looking at those two, for example, in the early childhood or elementary education world, you know, as we look towards, say, students developing perseverance and integrity, the foundation for that is them being able to have emotional self-regulation and being able to have a theory of mind where they can have empathy for somebody else, um, where they have some basic friendship skills and interaction. So, you know, social emotional learning very much, you know, creates a a groundwork uh, for us to be able to then kind of do that deeper reflection as they get older, as they ask those questions of who do I want to be? And when um, two goods seem to be in conflict with one another, how do I make a decision? We see that right now as we see people saying, what decisions do we make as businesses and communities and governments and schools in response to this crisis? There's no playbook. We're trying to balance the greater good so that you know, it may not be a clear cookie cutter vision of what does it mean to be prudent or courageous in this moment, but I can look and say, that's the type of person I want to be. That's what I want for my community. And I'm going to weigh this out with reason and judgment. Now, in order to get adults who can think that way, from an early age, we need to help steer uh, and and inspire that type of reflective thinking. Um, From the early ages where it's You know, how are you a reflective listener? What does it mean to be a good friend? What does it mean to be responsible for your things, be responsible for a pet, to be responsible for your room? What does it mean to tell the truth? And uh, and what makes it hard to do? My students are not going to be perfectly responsible at the end of first grade. That's just not reasonably expected. What we hope is that they're further along that road, that they've had opportunity to practice. And it's Aristotle who talks about, you know, you become a liar player by playing the liar. You become brave by doing brave acts. You become compassionate by performing compassionate acts. And so it's not a matter of, of just a reason. I'm going to read about being brave and that's how I'm going to get there. Or I'm going to read a story about it. That might inspire me. But I have to practice this. And so for early childhood and elementary and middle and high school, as we're talking about pre-K to 12, much of it's a matter of just the opportunity to A, be inspired to see who I could be. And then B, to have opportunities to practice and practice and practice and to fall down and to try again and to recognize the points of interference. Our other guests have talked about three big areas of learning, uh, character education, civics education, and social emotional learning. How do these three areas intersect? I think at the heart of all three is a desire for helping children um, thrive and 
helping them become flourishing adults. Um, and I think this idea of thriving, this idea of living one's uh, best life, not best as in most successful in terms of perhaps status or monetary gain, but in terms of being able to form strong relationships, make good choices under duress, um, make choices that are for the civic good, uh, be able to be responsible for oneself and one's community, being able to do one's part to leave the world a better place for the people who come after it. These are the things that keep our society uh, held together. They're the things that are satisfying. They're the thread that runs through uh, most world religions, uh, when you survey parents and ask what what matters most to you, um, they will say, I want my kids to be happy. And you drill that down and they start talking about helping them be responsible, kind, decent people. And yes, they want them to be able to have the skills they need to go into the workforce. But if it's that at the expense of being just a terrible human being, that's not an equation we're comfortable with. And so there's, I think, a lot more consensus, even though within the field, there's a lot of different frames of reference and a lot of different language. I think the, the core and the heart is very much in alignment. Trying to connect the dots here based on what you're saying, the social emotional piece is a lot of, you know, how do we want to be, right? Tapping into that best self. The character education piece is who do I want to be? What's my vision for that? And then it seems like the natural outgrowth of that is the civics education piece. Who do we want to be as a society? Yes. I think there's, I, yes, and I think there's a lot of overlap in all of those. But I, you know, one of the, um, what I think the dangers of only focusing, for example, on social emotional is that there are a lot of really, really socially savvy people who are terrible people who use that social savvy to manipulate people, right? Mm -hmm. to, to, to swindle them. You know, empathy is a skill, but you can use empathy to gain somebody's trust and then betray that trust. Right. Um, and so, you know, social emotion uh, learning, you know, in and of itself, you know, it's vital. It is foundational. Um, it is not everything. And the same thing I'd say as we looked at character education, if if you have somebody who's saying, oh, we have a school of character, but they're ignoring the emotional safety in the classroom or students who are coming in with a trauma background or they're ignoring the, you know, the social dynamics, um, then that's going to all interfere with this vision. Uh, you could pump them with all the great literature you, you know, want and, and great, you know, the teachers were doing their best, but they're not going to, you know, there's going to be all these interference that happens. And I think also with civic, you know, if you, you have that broader picture, but that's going to be composed of then citizens who at their own personal level can make those responsible choices on their own so they can do it for the greater good. So, you know, I think there's just a beautiful interplay here. Um, and these are conversations that we need to be having more of. Now let's hear more from Dr. Hardin Coleman from Boston University. If we want flourishing children and thriving and or thriving children, we have to think about their whole person development, not just their academic and not just their social or not just their uh, sports or, or theater. It's got to be the whole child. And whatever standards we hold for children, in terms of their character and their behavior, we have to hold for all the adults in the community. Give me the landscape. What are the goals of this KPCEL group and who are your partners? Yeah. 
Great, great question. I mean, so within that, you know, thinking of, you know, schools that tend to do a good job for the most of their children, most often have some kind of overriding um, theory of what a whole child looks like and acts like that's beyond academic uh, performance, you know, academic or athletic performance. And usually they either have a strong sense of uh, what are this, these, the skills, the social skills someone has to have, or in, 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 in this case, I have a theory of what good character looks like and acts like, and have a comprehensive and systematic way of helping kids acquire that, that character and reinforce it. You know, I, I acknowledge it when they, when they see it and, and uh, support children in, 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 in finding ways to bring, take that character and do something uh, positive in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the current foundation, family foundation is very interested in this process and engaged and has worked with a set of educational leadership programs to prepare superintendents and principals to create schools in which char- the development of character is central to uh, the ethic or the, 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 the values of that school or school district. And so our work, and 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 Karen um, Bolin, uh, leading the Montrose Institute, um, and 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 Deborah are international leaders in that uh, conversation, and they bring a content expertise and and a practice expertise that is unparalleled. What BU provides is the research practice partnership. So in a in, in, in nutshell, what we are part of the partnership is bringing in a uh, social science methodology called improvement science, uh, working with those schools is in a network creating a facilitating a network of data-driven decision-making as they move from thinking about what it looks like to have an educational leadership program that uh, trains uh, their leaders to um, um, create uh, schools and districts that are focused on character development from taking them from that idea, working collectively to develop and implement an evidence-based or uh, data-supported approach to that process, and helping them, des- you know, working with them on the designing of their curriculum, and then and then doing some uh, a rapid uh, analysis of um, the data as they make steps to improve, and then use the network as a feedback loop. So, uh, school will go out and they'll try something, they'll collect data, they'll come back to the the group uh, and on a webinar, share what they've learned, what worked well, what didn't work well, get feedback from the group and then and then give feedback to the group and take and take ideas and then and then start another set uh, process of the design and action cycle. So that's so that in that partnership, so you know um, uh, Montrose brings the expertise in terms of character education. Uh, the Kern family has foundation has expertise and and the generous support. And then we bring the let's call we we facilitate the uh, use of evidence and and analysis uh, in these in the educational leadership programs to help them refine their practice. Well, that sounds like a great marriage between you know the the scientific background and the scaffolding. Mm-hmm. And then the way to be able to apply it, you know, the how of it all coming together. Yeah. 
the, the what in the house. So the you know what character education is 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 you know is uh, something that um, is very important to think about and to have a kind of understanding. And then how do you do it? And then how do you know you're doing it well? So those three are great are important questions that I think collectively we're we're working to answer those. So whether you have a character education program or a civics education program or a good social emotional learning program, the outcomes seem to be kids are more kids who have those programs are more engaged engaged in school. They uh, are more engaged in uh, the uh, uh, their civic uh, communities. Uh, they you know they they demonstrate the early uh, characteristics of good citizenship where they, they're, they're thinking about others and they have a sense of their own center, right? They, they, they have a good sense of who they are. It's character education, you know, even though they, it sound, often sounds like it's just looking at what are your virtues and how do you understand your virtues? Uh, it also has a very important uh, piece of what, what Karen uses the word practical wisdom of how do you put that into practice in your daily life? What we've done is kind of, you know, brought all these 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 different programs together um, that are really, you know, focused on this common goal of how do we prepare leaders um, so that, you know, they're able to kind of embed character education in schools so that ultimately, you know, all of all of our students are able to flourish. Joining us now is Dr. Ariel Tickner Wagner, a colleague of Dr. Coleman's at Boston University's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development and author of the book, Becoming a Globally Competent School Leader. Dr. Tickner Wagner tells us more about who the KPCEL partners are and how they've worked together on the issues of what habits and skills children need to flourish. We really benefited from an amazing brain trust that's made up the KPCL network. Our partners include teams from Arizona State University, Boston College, California State University, Fresno, Common Sense Education, Doral Leadership Institute, Intellectual Virtues Academy, Lipscomb University, Medical College of Wisconsin, Montrose School, North Central College, Open Sky Education, Samford University, Santa Clara University, Seton Education Partners, St. Mary's University of Minnesota, University of Alabama, University of Missouri-St. Louis, University of Northern Iowa, University of Oklahoma, University of Tennessee, and last but not least, Wake Forest University. Tell us about your expertise, which is improvement science. Improvement science is a process that, that's all about building capacity uh, for sustainably bringing about systems change. Um, it's guided by, by three questions. What are we trying to accomplish? How will we know if it changes an improvement? And what changes can we make uh, that, that will result in an improvement? Um, and it's really focused, you know, on, on being very targeted and, and figuring out that kind of, you know, what it is that, that, that you're trying to accomplish is actually addressing, you know, a real problem that, that, that you're facing, you know, by, by using data to really understand kind of your current system and current context. Um, and then, you know, continuing to, to use data and not just kind of, you know, big D data, but but these small, you know, what we call practical measures um, that you can kind of, you know, constantly connect, uh, you know, almost like, you know, formative assessments, if you will, um, so that you're kind of constantly, you know, co collecting data to see if, if whatever you're doing is actually kind of reaching your aim. And how does improvement science come into play in these realms of social emotional learning, character education, and civics education? 
character education, civics education, social emotional learning, um, you know, kind of all of the all of these 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 important kind of outcomes, you know, that, that, that each of these, these different kind of modalities of education are offering um, are they're not easy to measure and they're often not, um, you know, kind of at the core of what schools are, are, are doing, right? And right, really in many ways what they're being held accountable for. Um, however, you know, they, they are so important, <laughs> um, you know, not, I mean, if you're, you know, concerned about academic outcomes, right, kind of there's clear associations between, um, you know, kind of the, the, the development of these more, you know, kind of social, emotional and, and character oriented goals um, and, you know, ultimately, you know, kind of academic achievement and attainment, you know, but also like, you know, student well-being and human flourishing should be an important outcome, you know, as, as unto itself. Um, so, you know, one of my hopes is, is by listening to this and, and specifically, um, you know, and thinking about uh, the question of, you know, how you can actually implement this in schools um, and kind of, you know, what does this look like in your own context? Um, I feel that, that, that kind of the methods that, that we've used, these kind of improvement science methods as a vehicle or tool, um, you know, for integrating character education into schools and, in, and into higher education programs um, is, is really kind of a, a great step that, that any school leader can take um, to begin to think, you know, very thoughtfully, intentionally um, and systematically about how to you know, make these small improvements and slowly iterate on them over time. I'm your host, Mary Cahill Farella, and I want to thank you and all of our guests for joining us for this conversation about what habits and skill sets children need in order to flourish. A special thanks to the Kern Family Foundation and all the members of its Partners in Character and Educational Leadership. Let's keep the conversation going so that we can become emotion scientists, people of character, and global citizens.